You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time to meet the Muppets, so let's turn on the mic. For Muppet Show beginners and experts alike. Come on and join the party that's only just begun. Let's smile for a while, it's time to have some fun. We're taking in a show tonight, play the music, light the lights, pick the curtain up, and then it's time to meet the Muppets all over again. So take a break and take a load off, let's all take a ride in a Muppetastic time machine with Fergie as your guide. So no more hesitation, let's start the episode. We're moving right along, let's get this show out on the Yo, yo, yeah, 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 yo. What's good? Hello. Welcome to another episode of It's Time to Meet the Muppets, where we recap and deep dive through the Muppet Show in as close to chronological order as possible. I am your host, Fergie L. Philippe, and today we are going to be talking about the one and only Miss Ruth Buzzy, Golden Globe Award-winning and Emmy-nominated actor for her work on the legendary comedy variety show Laughin', Rowan and Martin's Laughin', if you must know the full title. Uh, she's also appeared on hit TV shows like The Dean Martin Show, The Love Boat, and, of course, Sesame Street. On Sesame Street, she played the eccentric Ruthie, who was the owner of the store Binders Keepers, which was <laughs> which was a part of the uh, infamous Around the Corner set, uh, which was a whole thing that happened in Sesame. In the 90s, between seasons 25 and 29, uh we don't talk about it. It's like Voldemort, like it, which must not be named. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you don't remember what the around the corner set is, or you're too young to know what that is around the corner, uh, was this essentially added part of the set of Sesame street that included, uh, the furry arms hotel, which had some really funny bits and, you know, some really great stuff happening there. And it included some stuff, uh, in the neighborhood park. Um, the set eventually got dropped after a few seasons, but well, hold on. The the thing is that around the corner is so iconic to me because that is my era of Sesame Street. That is when I grew up around Sesame Street, and Sesame Street was so prevalent with the around the corner set, especially the furry arms and the um the park. That is so iconic to me. However, a lot of kids were not able to really keep up with all the plot lines and the new characters that were added because a lot of new characters ended up being added to that around the corner set, especially in the furry arms. Um. And so, you know, that entire thing of the Around the Corner set got dropped after a few years. But it lives fondly in my memories. Ruth Buzzy is an incredible comedian who joins a long list of performers who play off the Muppets just brilliantly. But before we get into that, we have a bit of Muppet history. Today, I want to talk about Richard Hunt, another one of the original core members of uh, the Muppet Performer troupe that, of course, included, once again, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Dave Golds, Jerry Nelson, Richard Hunt, Steve Whitmire, and, of course, I'm talking about the main folks from the Muppet Show. Of course, I would never want to forget the iconic people that include Martin Robinson and uh, Fran Brill, Camille Bernara, all of these different people who have worked with the Muppets for quite a, Aaron Oscar, Jane Henson herself. There are plenty of people, but when I talk about the main core of performers, I talk about those six guys from the Muppet Show years. 
Um, but but today I want to talk about Richard Hunt. Um, Richard Hunt, who's famously known for playing characters like Scooter, Janice, Beaker, um, on Sesame Street, of course. He did Two-Headed Monster and Placido Flamingo and um, uh, Forgetful Jones. Um, but we'll get into all of that. Richard was born in the Bronx, uh, but was actually primarily raised in New Jersey. Uh, Richard was actually kind of born into a family of performers or people who were very artistically inclined, and he grew up himself doing puppet shows for local kids in New Jersey. Um, and he was himself, you know, a fan of Jim Henson's creation of Muppets. So much a fan that after high school, Richard famously <laughs> cold-called from a payphone Henson Associates and got in touch with Jim Henson himself uh, and asked if they were auditioning puppeteers. Funny enough, that very day they were actually auditioning puppeteers. So um, Richard got himself down and auditioned, uh, which at this same audition, apparently Fran Brill was also auditioning. Uh, and from there, they were both hired to be a part of the holiday special, The Great Santa Claus Switch, uh, where they both played Frackles. Uh, from there, Richard specifically was hired to perform on numerous television appearances and projects uh you know, things like Ed Sullivan's show and things like that. From there, he was hired full-time on Sesame Street, where he mostly right-handed and then background characters and stuff like that. But over the years, obviously, he grew into more of a main character or main feature performer. He went on to perform in other specials and projects that, of course, included Taminella... <laughs> Caminella Grinderfall in The Frog Prince. He only did the puppeteering uh, while Jerry Jewell supplied the voice. Uh, played Charlie Muskrat in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, one of the four friends. Uh, with in The Land of Gorch, which was the son of King Plubus and his wife, uh, which was that infamous uh, series of sketches on Saturday Night Live. Um, and then he did some background characters and stuff for the pilot presentations of The Muppet Show, which are Muppet Show Sex and Violence and the Valentine's Day special. He eventually joined the cast of performers in London so that they could shoot The Muppet Show, uh, where he ended up performing the characters of Scooter in the first season, uh, where he ended up performing the character of Scooter, and in the first season, frequently swapped with Frank Oz in the role of Miss Piggy, as I've talked about a few times. Um, he eventually also took on the roles of Sweetums and Beaker and Janice and Statler as well. With Janice, though, fun fact, Janice wasn't always performed by Richard, which I think I've mentioned. Janice was originally performed by Aaron Oscar, and she had much more of a voice like this. A little bit more, um, I want to say film noir. Something very Casablanca. And then eventually she went to, like, kind of a here place, for sure, really. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. I do impressions nonstop. Uh, Richard quickly becomes one of the, you know, company members, like, brightest and most shining personalities. He's known for, you know, his boisterous energy. And also, Richard was just pleasant and hilarious company to be around for, you know, guest stars and also the creative team and the cast and the crew for Henson Associates. Um, Richard also kind of went on to take on a lot of leadership roles over the years, moving on to direct um, several, you know, Sesame Street, like, home video specials and an episode of uh, Fraggle Rock, and Richard was a big mentor to um, 
a lot of the performers, including one that we're going to be talking to later today, Noel McNeil. Uh, at the end of the episode, we'll be putting on a little – well, it'll either be the end of the episode or it'll be a separate episode because me and Noel actually ended up talking for quite an amount of time. Um, but, but Noel was a, a, a mentee to Richard Hunt and learned so much from him, and so um, we get to talk about that a little bit. Um, and And he often, you know – looked out for younger puppeteers, especially on the set of Sesame Street, and gave them as much screen time as possible and other things, and he always generously took them to lunch. Um, Richard really quickly became somebody who was a trusted eye and, you know, creative uh, target for many of the projects they worked on. Um, on Sesame Street, like I said before, you know, he went on to becoming one of the, like, more... Uh, prominent players doing roles like, you know, Forgetful Jones and Gladys the Cow and Placido Flamingo, like I said. Um, but but what's interesting about his work, one of the two-headed monsters with Jerry Nelson, w what's interesting about his time on Sesame Street is that, you know, Jim and Frank were often doing all these different things, whether it was Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, you know, Jer uh, uh, Frank was directing Little Shop of Horrors and all of these other films, Bowfinger, you know, well, that was much later. I'm, I'm crazy. But, you know, they were doing so many busy things. Jerry and Richard, which I <laughs> found out from Noel, you know, were traveling back and forth between um, Toronto and New York to do um, Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock. And so Jerry and Richard really became uh, these kind of uncles or godfathers, uh, big leadership roles to the younger puppeteers over at Sesame Street. And so Richard's impact on the cast of Sesame Street, especially those who are, you know, there now like Pam Arciero and David Rudman and uh, Noel and uh, uh, Martin Robinson, you know, the, there are so many people who really learned under Jerry and Richard because they were kind of the kind of heads of the puppeteers when, when Jim and Frank were gone. Um, and there's just a lot of love and a lot of wonderful memories um, associated with kind of that time period uh, around the 80s and, and you know, um, early-ish 90s, which is where we get into this. Uh, Richard Hunt actually passed away from HIV-AIDS on January 7th in 1992. Um, Richard's characters that included Scooter, Janice, and one of the two-headed monsters were left to David Rudman, um, who also performs uh, Cookie Monster and Baby Bear. Uh, David Rudman was a close friend of Richard's, and he worked frequently with him. Richard leaves behind a legacy as well, like Jerry Nelson. You know, Richard's legacy is very much of generosity and passion, and it's something that's never talked about enough. I mean, Richard Hunt is truly unbelievably underrated. Um, when it comes to the public persona of who the Muppet performers were. Celebrities and stars who worked with the Muppets, you know, people like Rudolph Nureyev and Mark Hamill have discussed, like, impacts that he's made on them and, you know, close friendships that he's made with them. Um, working with the Muppets, but also kind of in life in general, and, you know, anybody who worked with the Muppets around that era, you know, probably walked away knowing the most about Richard Hunt. Richard Hunt was just such a bright and big personality that it was impossible to forget him. You know, his talent shines through his performance, but so did his enthusiasm for his work, for the Henson Company, and his life in general. Richard is fondly remembered by friends as a little shit, <laughs> but in the best way possible. Rest in paradise, Mr. Hunt. We love you. 
Moving into the actual show. Uh, guys, theme song. Here we go again. Moving into the actual show, y'all. <laughs> theme song again. A little change. This one, it's only one word. So I, again, y'all, I'm, I might be, I might be overdoing it or overanalyzing it, but just, just stay with me, okay? To introduce our guest star, that's what it's time to do. Instead of to introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. What? Why? Um, I don't understand. Maybe it was an accident. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not even really going to make any opinion on it. It just happened, okay? <laughs> um, when Kermit comes out, we hear entrance music, like, and sometimes it's like, boom. We've heard that. We'll hear that a few times throughout the show. Uh, it's usually not entrance music, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they do do it a few times. I can't remember, but uh, it hasn't happened yet, so this was a fun one for us. Um, moving into the opening number, Sunny. Oh, we finally, finally, I get to talk about uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem in full. So, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. What? Dr. Teeth and the. It, 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 Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Uh, resident, I guess, rock band, but they really play it all. They play jazz, they play funk, they play hip hop, they play, you know, folk. They can play country, like they do it all, um, and and a few of them are members in the in the house band as well <laughs> for the Muppets. Um, but Doctor Teeth is obviously the leader and the keyboard player, based on uh, an artist from New Orleans named Doctor John, who actually just passed away not too long ago. Um, and uh, the original like core members of Doctor Teeth in the Electric Mayhem are Doctor Teeth. Uh, on keyboard, Floyd on bass, Janice on guitar, Zoot on saxophone, and Animal on drums, um, all making up members of the different uh, Muppet performers. So Dr. Teeth played by Jim, Animal played by Frank, Floyd is played by Jerry, Janice is played by Richard, and Zoot is played by Dave Goles. Later on, they add members, or, or they the, the other two members of the Electric Mayhem that are kind of like John Stamos and, and the Beach Boys where, like, they come in every now and then, but, like, they're members, but they're not really members, uh, are Lips, who's played by Steve Whitmire, and Clifford, Clifford, yeah, played by uh, Kevin Clash. Um, and the band is really, I would say, like, the official band of the Muppets. Like, in every movie they show up, every you know, they are some of the most consistent musical acts in, one of the most consistent musical acts in the Muppet world period um arguably my favorite band on earth i love dr cc in the electric mayhem and they were kind of my first things that i fell in love with in terms of the muppets especially animal animal was my favorite when i was growing up and and the electric mayhem just represent cool and funk and just they are so unbelievably awesome um so we, you know, we, we get to see them really in their element here. But they, of course, there's always a bit. Um, you know, they start the song, which is uh, Sunny by soul R&B artist Sunny Heb. Um, one of the most recorded songs or, like, most um, um, covered songs ever, um, funny enough. Um, but obviously, you know, they're playing the song and Animal is like, too slow. And they go faster and faster and faster until they all pass out. Um, great bit. Short bit good bit um it's really wonderful to see how 
incredibly defined these characters are. Janice uh, is the only one that, you know, consistently only because of the performer who's playing them because it was Aaron Oscar and then it went on to um, Richard Hunt. But, but you know, Floyd, Animal, Zoot, and Dr. Teeth ha- are who they were from the first moment they were introduced. Like, these characters, we know exactly who these characters are. We know that they're these crazy, hippie, definitely high uh band members um and they're so and i think that's the awesome thing about dr teeth and the electric mayhem is that like so much of the joke of the muppets is that the muppets are trying so hard to be good but they're not (laughs) they're they're actually not really successful at the things that they do but dr teeth and the electric mayhem are actually unbelievable they are an incredible band they make really good fun music it's it's weird sometimes it's like you know strange music that they make but but you know can you picture that from the Muppet movie or you can't take no for an answer from Muppets Take Manhattan? Even, you know, Live in My Le- Nightlife from Great Muppet Caper. I mean, they make such good music. And it is really awesome that, you know, these characters have never really changed. Like, these characters have stayed the same for the past over, I mean, now 50 years. Um, it's really, really incredible. Um Moving out of the opening number, going into the backstage uh, plot of the show, <laughs> I love Scooter and Kermit's relationship. Um, I think it's the Jim Neighbors episode, which is – is that next? I believe I believe that's next. Uh, the Jim Neighbors episode, I think, is where we finally get, like, an introduction of who Scooter is and how he ended up in the theater. But um, the, the, the funny thing about these two, and it's a running joke throughout the whole series, is that Scooter wants to do something. Kermit originally says no. Scooter always is like, yeah, but my uncle who owns the theater would love this. And then Kermit's like, okay, what do you want? <laughs> you know, immediately. It's such a great joke, and it, and it works every time. And they don't use it too much, but they use it just enough to, to always make it consistently funny. Um, the, the backstage plot involves <laughs> Scooter, Scooter's uncle, I think, orders a mechanical wind-up hose. This is one of the most solid backstage plots of the first season. Um, a mechanical wind-up hose, but the host literally just looks like Kermit with a giant, like, uh, toy twisty thing in its back. Like, it's just a, a, a wind-up tool in its back, and... It's so weird, it's so strange, and so funny. Um, Jim does such a good job at differentiating, obviously, between the robot and Kermit. Um, but as the show gets, you know, the show continues and, and the wind-up host becomes a little bit more comfortable, you know, the, the line between who's Kermit and who's the robot is blurred, and it, it, it just becomes really, really great stuff. Um, we move on into At the Dance, which, you know, this is actually one of their most more solid rounds. They have a lot of uh, coming back, comeback jokes. Uh, comeback jokes are obviously jokes that um, uh, that come back around. You know, stand-up comedians will do this all the time. Um, one of my favorites I have to think of is Dave Chappelle's joke about, you know, I met um, I met O.J. Simpson four different times, and he goes through the whole show ends the show having told three of the stories, and then as an encore, he comes back and tells the fourth time. Great comeback joke. Um, And so there's a great series of comeback jokes with the blue frackle about his dance skills and his feet. Um, And then at the end, he's like, I told you I have three feet. He lifts them up and he falls. Hilarious. Um, Right after at the dance, there's like a little uh, scene with <laughs> Statler and Waldorf about how Statler needs to stretch his legs, and then Animal's like, "I'll do it," and then like completely pulls his leg. It's so funny, and it's such a weird little non sequitur. And and these kind of little things become a lot more frequent as the show 
goes on over the years, Dotler and Waldorf play this really interesting function in the show where there are a couple times when they come on stage and, you know, there's a plot line in season two where, you know, they're they're in love with one of the guest stars and, you know, want to make sure that they are <laughs> they are seen and, and want to try to woo her. But, but, you know, often, you know, Statler and Waldorf don't leave past their... Um, don't leave past their, what do you call it? Oh my gosh, their balcony. Um, and there's a lot of sequences that happen up there that are really memorable in the show. Um, and it's a really interesting that the thing that they do because they're not scenes, they're not sketches, there's just, there's, they're, they are just these guys. They are just these little, uh, like, non-sequitur moments that happen uh, throughout the show. So it's, it's really fascinating. We get out of that and we get into um, the Kermit and Robot dance scene. <laughs> this routine is uh, reminiscent and, and a, basically a direct callback to uh, that classic scene in the Marx Brothers film Duck Soup where <laughs> Harpo uh, accidentally breaks the mirror when Groucho comes in. Uh, Harpo kind of... Uh, tries to mimic his every move and mirror his every move to confuse him. Um, I've provided a link to the scene below because the scene is actually like really brilliant physical comedy. Um, and obviously this is exactly what happens here. What's really amazing about this scene is that the two performers who are, you know, I'm guessing it's Jim and, and maybe Frank or something, but, but the two performers doing the Kermit and robot dancing, it is brilliantly mirrored. And the, the technique of like matching up all the different movements is done so well that every time I see it, I always forget that it's the wind-up doll, uh, which obviously I'm guessing is the point, but but it's really done so well technique-wise. And if you go back in mind to everything that I've said about what Muppet technique is, you know, you're doing it, you're performing over your head, you're looking at a monitor, you have to be aware of your spaces. To be able to get it to be that precise in the way that they did takes a lot of skill and effort and I'm curious about how many times they shot it how much practice did they have like I, I just think all of that stuff is so crazy I'm so fascinated by how they were able to make it happen um funny enough they actually kind of do a, a, a kind of callback or a tribute to this in Muppets Most Wanted with Kermit and Constantine at the end of the movie um uh really funny stuff um we then move into Wayne and Wanda. Um, something that I noticed pretty immediately is that Sam the Eagle's looks cha will change quite drastically. Um, and I can't remember quite when it happens. I think it does happen in season two. But they remove his eyebrows and they remove the bags under his eyes. Um, he He looks so... He looks so unpleasant to be around <laughs> in the first season. And then the other the other um, builds of Sam just make him look very serious. But this Sam is just, ugh, I, he's so annoying and so stiff. Um, but, and I, and I even think his color gets a bit brighter on his coat, like the, the actual color of blue that he is. I think they make him a bit brighter. Um, so that'll be an interesting... Uh, That'll be a very interesting change for us to notice. 
getting into the actual musical number, uh, they, Wayne and Wanda are singing Row, 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 which is from Zwickfeld Follies of 1912, uh, as written by James V. Maneko and William Jerome. Um, <laughs> they drown. Hilarious. Um, um, uh, funny enough, they do this performance again in the Elky Summer episode in the third season, um, and her boat sinks too. In the words of Muppet Wiki, it must be the song. <laughs> um, so we get out of Wayne and Wanda, and we go into the news flash. And again, you know, it, it was it was about the, the the ocean being held hostage, and they want hugs and kisses from their. It, I don't know. I I might not just get it, but I thought it was long. I thought it was weird. I see what is funny about it, but it does not make me laugh. Um, I'm curious about whether or not I'm just a juvenile, immature, five-year-old boy at heart. Uh, do I just want to see the newsman get hurt? Um, which may be very much the case. It could just be, um, I just want to see him get hurt. <laughs> um, but, but you know, there's like two different types of news flashes. There's like this kind, and then there's some that are like the physical gags that I think they kind of lean more towards, you know, throughout the rest of the season. I, not the season, the rest of the show. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but, but you know, these kind of longer, more heady jokes when it comes to the, when it comes to the newsman, I don't know if these kind of more like, wordplay jokes work for him as well as when when he gets hurt straight up <laughs> but you know it could just not be my style but again this whole thing about figuring out what's going to work and what doesn't um and figuring out like how the character um functions and how his material is going to be changed because for this it's not about the newsman character the newsman character is great but it's literally about the type of material he's given when it comes to me figuring out you know what are the what what which news flashes do i enjoy and which news flashes do i straight up not um yeah so then we get into uh ruth buzzy's first number which is can't take my eyes off of you <laughs> i love this number so much this number is so funny to me um for multiple reasons but can't take my eyes off of you is obviously a famous song from frankie valley in the four seasons um the introduction, Kermit's so damn cute. That suit is so damn cute. Every time I see it, I'm always like, ha <laughs> um, but, but Ruth Buzzy and Sweetums are just such a, I mean, what a fantastic pairing. Um, but comedians in general always play off the Muppets well, uh, which, I mean, makes sense. Comedians are actors as well, essentially, but, but. I think what makes comedians great is that there's always a great willingness to be silly. When I think of like the Steve Martin episode and the Milton Berle episode, you know, and, and this episode, there's, there's never any kind of hesitancy to be weird, silly, look stupid. Um, and I think that's what, what makes this sketch so funny. Ruth Buzzy is such a fool in this. Um, she's also such a brilliant physical performer. I mean, what she is able to, uh, like, get done with her body. She's climbing all over tables and floors and on top of sweetums and stuff. And, and, you know, she's being thrown around and, and falling on the floor. It's just so funny. It's such grade A classic variety show comedy. Just great, great physical humor. I love it. Um, and in addition, speaking of Richard Hunt, you know, Richard in general is underrated. But his performance of sweetums is never talked about enough. Sweetums is such a complicated full-body character, which um, Noel will talk about later, but, you know, it's not easy to perform Sweetums because there is a lot happening there at the same time, and it's a 
big character um, that really has a that has a lot going on in terms of how to perform the character and in terms of um, how to accomplish the movement and the lip sync. Um, but Richard is able to give us such a sense of who this character is. Um, and he wasn't the original performer, funny enough. You know, he kind of took it over, but he has such wonderful agility in, in his performance of Sweetums. And it's really, um, it's really exciting to watch. Um, and I, I adore um, watching his Sweetums and it, it truly just gets better and better and better and better. Um, and yeah, yeah. I love watching Richard do, I love watching Richard do anything, honestly. Um, but his Sweetums to me is just such, it's such a brilliant example of like how to be a fantastic all around puppeteer. Like the, the actual manipulation is fantastic and the characterization is so strong. We move out of Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, and we go into another one of Rolf's song, um, which is I Never Harmed an Onion, <laughs> which is a song written by Alan L. Gray, Ginger Joan Gray, and Mo Jaff. Uh, it was made popular by uh, singer-comedian Steve Allen, I believe. Um, but, uh, you know, when I looked up this song, the most popular version of this is actually Rolf's version from this episode. Um this song is so funny. Um, it's one of the songs that, as I'm going through the first season, I'm like, oh, I remember this very, very vividly um, from the first time I watched the first season. Um, there are such horrible puns in it. So funny. Love a good, terrible pun. Um, Rolf is a fantastic comedian. Um, and he works both as, like, a good straight man and as, like, the comedic relief. Like, he can he can really do it all. And I've said in the past that he's, like, the bar pianist, which I stand by. Like, I do think that he can really be a good grounding sense for all of us. But I also think he is a fantastic comedian. Um, and this and this song really, <laughs> this song really proves it. Um, and, and in the sense that, you know, it's just him and he is enough to carry his own in terms of comedy um, and music. And so, um, yeah. Rolf is another Rolf is another one of the like unsung heroes of the of the Muppet troupe. <laughs> uh we get out of that musical number and we go into um the talk spot uh which is, you know, between Ruth and 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 um and Kermit. Um a lot of talking about like diets and such and, you know, about body image and stuff like that, like a little fat phobic <laughs> just just a little bit um but i guess the only thing that i could think of is that it's 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 astonishing to me how much a part of the culture and i mean still is but but i just mean openly and and how you know little awareness there was back then about how we speak about diet culture how we speak about our bodies and and just stuff like that and I'm not trying to preach or make any kind of um statement um but it's just fascinating to be able to see a lot of these shows from the you know from the 70s and 80s and kind of make that stand. i mean it, it's the whole thing about everybody who was angry about all of the content warnings that were going in front of the muppet show episodes <laughs> which like duh you know i love the muppets but there are some things on the show that's like oh that is you can't you can't say that you cannot do that that's offensive <laughs> and uh you know 
people didn't know better or you know what was accepted socially then is is not the same thing as what is socially accepted now and so for me at least and and you know it's possible that i'm coming from a place of privilege when i say this but but it's really interesting to be able to see that and go wow you know i wonder what's behind you know because there's so much of what happens in this episode about you know fitness and wellness and health especially when we get into the the um the uh panel discussion later on that talks about you know is the human body obsolete and talking about yoga and how to stay in shape and stuff and so it seems like this may be a frequent uh thing in in ruth buzzy's comedy or maybe just what the men who wrote this episode gave to her i don't know but again this is all just very interesting to um observe and see with this show um and with this segment specifically um you know again you know she's so good at playing off of the muppets and and her and kermit are so fun and i and i mean it it's so obvious why she ends up going on sesame street because she does a really wonderful job on sesame street as ruthie too she has this really calming yet eccentric nature that that really fits well with the muppets um <laughs> take the cheese off my chest i laughed so hard at that i could not i was laughing so hard i had to pause it was so funny um also something that i hadn't thought about until watching it this time the laugh track in the show is so well placed whoever the sound editor is um is doing a phenomenal job at setting this um laugh track to the point where i forget it's a laugh track it often feels like oh this is a this feels like a real audience um and maybe it's because you know i grew up watching shows like this and watching shows with a lot of laugh tracks especially on classic sitcoms and stuff so maybe you know maybe it's possible that it to the modern viewer it doesn't sound as uh authentic but it sounds very authentic to me and it really feels um it just feels really well edited in. Yeah. Moving on to Fozzie's comedy monologue. <sighs> Y'all, poor Fozzie. Again, just roasted. <laughs> just roasted by Statler and Waldorf. Absolutely. Just completely roasted. Just <sighs> poor buddy. Poor Fozzie. That's all I have to say about that. Just poor Fozzie. Moving on, uh, we go to this, uh, the police sketch, which is, oh my god, Ruth Buzzy is such a genius comedic actress. This is so funny. Great writing, um, really good sketch. I really want to emphasize how good the writing is in this sketch. So, you know, Ruth Buzzy plays somebody who's been captured by the enemy, um, and they're trying to get her to talk. And then she starts talking, and then they're like, okay, great. And then she can't stop talking. So then the people who captured her are, like, trying to figure out how to get her to shut up. It's just such a great um, such a great flip. Um, I'm taking a sketch writing class right now, and we're talking about, you know, the different types of sketches or, or how sketches end. And, you know, you either um, turn – hold on. I actually have to get my notes out so I can make sure I say this correctly. When it comes to ending sketches, you know, you have a few options in terms of ending the sketch. There are kind of three. One is exhausting the premise. So if the premise is, um, I'm trying to think of a good sketch in terms of exhausting the premise. Uh, Target Lady. Target Lady is definitely exhausting the premise on Saturday Night Live. The girl, the girl that talks like this. I love Target. 
uh, you just, you know, put her in situations with people until it's just, like, too much, and then, you know, you exhaust the premise. Then there's flipping the premise, which is exactly what this sketch is, where you have it set up in a certain way, where it's, like, where they're trying to get Ruth Buzzy to talk, uh, and then eventually Ruth Buzzy ends up kind of winning by them trying to get her to shut up. And then you have random endings like, you know, pie blows up or a pie blows up. I was trying to say a pie to the face or you get blown up. But honestly, with the Muppets, a pie blowing up is is um, fair. It's accurate. That that checks out. That clears. Um, so, yeah. Um, so this is definitely one of those, uh, you know, definitely one of those like flipping the premise um, sketches as far as the ending goes and it's it's really well done it's really short again um but great turnaround she's a great character in this and it's just um really wonderful <laughs> um i usually don't go into like all of the back the backstage stuff but i want to talk about this one moment because it is so funny and is a testament to jim henson's like comedic timing uh miss piggy goes into the dressing room after talking to kermit and runs into the the, the mechanical host <laughs> When <laughs> when Jim says, or when Kermit the wind-up host says, Hiya, good-looking, where you been my whole life? <laughs> there is something about Kermit, or Jim as Kermit, when he is playing kind of the, the anti-Kermit, you know, something like this, or in Muppets Take Manhattan when he's getting... Um, into all of these different costumes and pretending to be these different characters, Jim is able to tap into something so authentically funny. Um, and part of it's because he has done such a brilliant job at establishing who Kermit is. Kermit, you know, when Kermit ends up turning into some kind of weird comedic relief, it's because we have really well established who Kermit is outside of that so well. Kermit is the straight man. Kermit is, like, the one we look to for sanity. Kermit is kind of the one that we hang on to when it comes to how much reality we're willing to depend on for this world of Muppets. And when it flips, when it turns, whether that's, you know, something like this or whether Kermit loses his cool, it becomes so unbelievably funny. Um, and, and a moment like this is a perfect example of that. Um, Baby Figs, always funny. Baby Figs is brought up, uh, again, I think in an Andy Williams episode <laughs> where he, he's like, we'll hear the pitter-patter of tiny figs, uh, talk, referring to frog-pig uh, hybrid. Also, there is an entire page on Muppet Wiki dedicated to the offspring of Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. I found it disturbing. Maybe you'll enjoy it. I'm not providing a link. I hated it, but, you know, just so that you know it exists. <laughs> But this is one of those really, really, really great moments. Um, and then eventually Kermit comes back in and, you know, Piggy Karate Chops. It's a, it's a whole funny. It's a great, great uh, bit that happens. There's a lot of great non sequitur uh, backstage moments that happen in this episode that I think um, I think over the years they realize that that's where so much of the good stuff is with the, with the Muppets. It's not when they're performing. It's their relationships to each other, which I feel like I've heard Frank Oz say where, you know, the, the, the comedy behind the Muppets or, or the thing that connects the Muppets are their relationships to each other and how much they love each other slash how much they hate each other. Um, and, and this sketch is kind of, you know, or this sequence is kind of where that really proves that. Um, you know, there's another moment I'm thinking of. I think it's the Andy Williams episode where, you know, <laughs> Piggy is planting a rumor that her and Kermit are getting married and everyone backstage finds out. Um, and there's a really great and a pretty famous scene when, when Floyd's like, hey, Kermit, me and the band going to play at the wedding? And Kermit's like, what wedding? <laughs> Floyd goes, well, I just heard the news that you and Miss Fatback was going to tie the knot and raise chitlins. Um, and 
and there's a whole fight, you know, between Kermit and Piggy. But but those backstage scenes are so funny, and they're so important to the building of the characters. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of the character development comes from, more than any of the performances of the musical numbers or anything like that, which is probably really obvious. But just just to emphasize once more. Um, we get out of that backstage moment and we go into the house sketch, which I don't think we've actually covered. So uh, this this thing, this sketch, uh, there are a series of sketches called Talking Houses, uh, and they were only during the first season. There were only about seven of these, um, and there were these four, you know, sup- supposed to be, you know, reminiscent of like life-size houses um and two of them were played by john lovelady and jerry nelson which most of the sketches were those two but the last sketch they ever filmed was the only one spoken by the third and the fourth house um and those were performed by frank oz and aaron oscar um these sketches were really really funny um they were one-liners um in this episode you know the second house says i hear your son the hotel has become interested in his religion (laughs) i'm sorry The the second house says, I hear your son, the hotel, has become interested in his religion. And the first house says, oh, interested isn't the word. He's seriously thinking about becoming a monastery. Um, these are great jokes about building infrastructures or house houses, and they're so terrible, but so funny. Um, they didn't last long. The the puppets were kind of weird. They the flow the the sketches were funny, but I. I can see why they took him out because it kind of does interrupt the flow of the show and the, the houses don't necessarily fit in with kind of the rest of the Muppet look. Um, but, but they do, you know, almost all of them are, are so great, but they are, there's some weird sketches, man. You, it's just weird to see a bunch of talking houses. Um, but yeah, but, but it's, uh, really funny stuff, but, but that's what we got here. Um, we then get into, um, can't roller skate in a buffalo herd which is written by famously roger miller they end up performing the song again when roger miller comes to guest star um i love the jug bands on the show and there have been different iterations or different types of like country acts uh the jug band in this is called the gogolala jubilee jug band um they're eventually replaced in the second season with lubbock lou and his jug huggers uh they're probably a little bit more recognizable um there's actually not really any reason known why from a creative standpoint why they ended up changing these uh, characters. Probably just to, like, get a more solidified and kind of polished set of puppets. Um, however, uh, according to uh, the Muppet Encyclopedia, as written by Craig Shemin, uh the band themselves claim that their split was due to a fight over whether or not they should put a hole in the wash tub. And that's all I will say on the matter. Very controversial subject. Um, moving out of the uh, can't roller skate in a buffalo herd number uh, and going into the final sketch of the evening, which is the panel discussion, which I was mentioning earlier, which was about uh, is the human body obsolete? Um, really good balance of all these different characters. Um, I think Ruth Buzzy's character is so funny and, and the idea of Sam the Eagle being in love with her is so funny great as well kermit trying to you know obviously make it uh trying to settle things really uh really turned on pigs like really sexual pigs nasty uh but hey listen go off i guess (laughs) this is such a chaotic panel discussion and doesn't really go anywhere like 
Ruth starts doing yoga in the middle of it, and Sam can't stop watching. The pigs are quite literally mounting each other. Um, they're a lot shorter than the one that we talk about in the Rena Moreno episode, um, which is interesting because this one is before – in terms of filming it, they filmed this one before they filmed Rita Moreno. Um, but this is a really successful sketch, so maybe – Maybe they wanted to just play with form a little bit longer for that one. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, a really funny sketch. Um, interesting because they usually end the shows with a musical number. And I even think before um, Can't Roller Skate and the Buffalo Herd, they mentioned that it's the, the final number. But then they have this sketch. Um, so that's just really interesting. But it is really funny. So I, I could see why they decided to end it with this. Um, but with that comes to the end of this episode or it comes to the end of the episode of ruth buzzy uh i'm gonna go ahead and just tag on uh my conversation with noel that i got to have earlier today um noel mcneil is just such a wonderful human being fantastic puppeteer uh i love him dearly and i'm so glad that he came on and decided to talk to us a little bit about his experience of working with jim frank uh, specifically Richard uh, and Jerry, um, and even gets to talk to us a little bit uh, about, you know, performing Sweetums. I really wanted to talk about uh, the mechanics of performing Sweetums so that you all can hear, like, the difficulty that it takes to perform that character and why Richard's performance is so fantastic. Um, so, yeah. Enjoy. No McNeil! <laughs> recording yeah i know I was like, this is gold it. man <laughs> don't waste time oh, i'm a blatherer from old school it used to just like <laughs> as soon as you as enter, soon as you see me just like just like, enter the room hit record hit record just gonna start doing these stupid stories so <laughs> go for it they are not stupid they're fantastic <laughs> um all righty Hey, everybody. We have with us today a puppeteer, writer, director who has worked on numerous programs like Sesame Street, Puzzle Place, Eureka's Castle, Ubi, Between the Lions, Great Space Coaster, Julie's Green Room. <clears throat> and you must likely know him as the titular character in the Henson Playhouse Disney program, Bear in the Big Blue House. We have Noel McNeil. Noel, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us a little bit today. Of course. Hello, everybody out there. Hope everybody's safe and well vaccinated. Yes. I know I am. <laughs> yes, I am as well. I hope we I hope we all go get vaccinated so that yes. we can go back to life to be in the after exactly in the after in the after um thank you so much for joining us today so we can talk a little bit about sweetums uh just before we specifically get into that you know you which we've talked about before you have a unique pleasure of being part of like a small group of puppeteers today who are still working that had the opportunity to work with jim henson and frank oz and jerry nelson and richard hunt so can you talk to me a little bit actually about what it was like working with Richard and, you know, what that experience was like. <laughs> Richard was, was great. He was wonderful. He was so warm. He was so giving and the most sarcastic SOB you ever would encounter. <laughs> First time I, I, I worked with Richard. I was actually a wrangler before I was a puppeteer and I was a wrangler mm-hmm. on Sesame street, the person who takes care of the puppets. And so Richard was like, always like, sarcastic with these little like snide comments and then one day like he's on the floor next to jerry they're doing a bit and the bit's done and i go over to take the puppet from richard and he has like his like a new york times crossword and like all that he sees me coming and just throws it at me (laughs) and goes back to the puzzle and i just glare at him and i slowly turn and walk away and as i turn he yells hey (laughs) 
And I turned back. And he says, if I didn't like you, I'd be nice to you. <laughs> and I walked over and I leaned down and I said to him, well, Richard, you must effing love me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he laughed. But Richard had like this really genuine laugh that he would do. Uh-huh. And he really laughed at that. And after that, we were fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> totally understood each other. So was like, it was great. And the one thing about Richard was like, whenever a kid came to visit and he happened to be there, mm-hmm. even if he wasn't doing anything, he would like go over to the, the Muppet box where all the puppets were kept and take like an anything Muppet or, or like he had this character Placido Flamingo or mm-hmm. any character and just put it on and then just go entertain the kids. There yeah. was the 25th anniversary, because that's how far back I go. And <laughs> there was this huge group scene in the middle of the street. Uh-huh. And had all these kids. And we had to, like, stop the song or for some reason for, like, a, a lighting adjustment or something. And so rather than break everybody, just, like, kept everybody exactly where they were, including kids. And that's when Richard stood up and just started entertaining the kids with the puppet and just did like this little impromptu <laughs> sing along just to keep the spirits up, just to keep the, the kids entertained uh-huh. rather than get them bored. And that was him. Yeah. Cause he would do like little puppet shows out in like New Jersey where he was growing up. So I was like, right. And he also um, was one of the stars of the very short lived series, little Muppet monsters. That's and, right. Yeah. And he also got to direct a couple of episodes. So it was like really cool. So he yeah. knew exactly what he was doing. And so mm. he was great. He was wonderful. And so you definitely get that sense from him for sure that he, he really knew what he was doing. And I talked yeah. about this before, but, but Richard's, you know, the, obviously the original, I don't know what to call, you know, the nine old men from Disney. I don't know what to call yeah. the original six guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether we can call them the six old men or whatever they are. I don't know. It's just like, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, the, I, yeah, I don't know what you would call like, you know, yeah. the original Muppet guys the original muppet guys right but but you know they're all obviously very strong but but richard's sense of performance is one of the ones that always sticks out and i'm sure many people have said that but but it really was one of those things where it's like he understood the essence and the spirit of what everything that he performed and so well just intrinsically not even from an analytical point of view it seems like oh yeah he was he was he was very underrated and didn't get like the true credit or recognition that he deserved the way Jim and Frank had that magic chemistry, Richard and Jerry Nelson had the same chemistry. And mm-hmm. so that's why Janice and Floyd worked so well. That's why right. Griffin Sully on Sesame worked so well. Cause they had that, that kind of chemistry. The two headed monster was Richard and, and Jerry. And that's why right. it worked so well. Cause they had that kind of chemistry and they had that kind of, uh, of friendship. And also, you know, up in Fraggle Rock, like the way that, you know, Junior Gorg and Dad got along. <laughs> right. Which goes yeah. to Richard and Jerry. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, You know, I, I know that uh, it was said a lot that, you know, Jim and Frank were usually gone a lot of the time because they were off doing their own other projects. And so when it was full time on Sesame Street, when you guys were recording 100 episodes a year, maybe even more than that. Um, uh, the glory days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, the 80s, yes. Yeah, it, <laughs> before laws. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it was often said that, you know, Jerry and Richard are kind of like the, almost the, the godfathers or the uncles of Sesame Street because they were the, they were the ones that were there kind of full time. And that period is often referred to.
Roberts was like the golden age of Sesame. What was kind of the, you know, maybe teaching relationship between Richard and the other younger puppeteers um, during that era? Uh, Richard and Jerry uh, would shuttle because they would shuttle back and forth between Sesame and Fraggle Rock. That oh, was, wow. That was being done. So they would, so they were doing like double duty. So going back and forth. So uh, from what I heard from like the, the Fraggle Rock puppeteers, Richard was also like very, you know, giving and very uh, generous in terms of giving people a chance to like do characters and all that. So right. it was the same thing on, um, on Sesame and particularly on Little Muppet Monsters because mm-hmm. like myself and um, like Cheryl Blaylock, Jim Krupa um, and, and the other background puppeteers, he would cast us in these like extra roles, but that had lines uh-huh. <laughs> just right. to give us a chance to have like more to do than like a right hand here or right. you know, generic, uh, you know, chicken in the back. So he was very good. And just like, um, he knew exactly in terms of like, um, pacing and staging, like how the puppets like should look. Mm. And so he was very generous with the, with the the time on screen. So he wasn't, he was of all the people I've met, like Richard was definitely one of the people who was not a diva in any mm. sense of the word at so all. Funny. <laughs> yeah. No, I have met divas, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When we get to the real, the yeah, real yeah, yeah. Muppet podcast. Exactly. Like, After hours. Want, exactly. If you want Fergie's Muppet tea, that's a whole other podcast, but <laughs> But we'll keep it nice and like light and just like yeah. Richard was definitely like Richard and Jerry too. Jerry was wonderful. Jerry and Jan came, came to my wedding. So, uh, Oh wow. Which is great. It's like they RSVP'd and, uh, when Susan, my wife, Susan Elia McNeil, the author of the Maggie Hope Mysteries available on Amazon. Um, she, by uh, now. Uh, by now. <laughs> she, uh, she looked and she just squealed like, Oh my God, the count is coming to my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> And it was oh, awesome. awesome. It was great. Yeah. So it was just like, it was great. And, uh, and Fran too. Fran, Fran is also one of like the original, um, Muppet yeah. performers of Sesame that I got to know. And she too came to my wedding. Oh, very classy. She was the first one to RSVP, the first one to send a wedding present like, <laughs> and handwritten thank you notes. I mean, like Fran is old school, like old school etiquette. classy. Oh yeah. yeah. You very can see old that. School. Oh yeah. Definitely. So it was, it, it was great. So having worked with her and Richard and Jerry and getting to know Jim and Frank, I was always like, so like thrilled every time Jim and Frank saw me and they remembered my name. They just like, you know, yeah, it's like, it's like, hello, Noel. So I was like, I know. <laughs> I'm just like, I say, Hey guys. And in my, in my inside, I'm just like squealing like a little girl. Oh my God. You remember who I am? Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> those impressions, those impressions were so perfect of right. both of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and I got, and Richard was on, um, Follow That Bird. And so. Right. That was the summer, uh, we were up in Canada for like three months. Uh-huh. And, uh, Richard did all the, the, the count stuff. So whenever the count was on, it was uh-huh. Richard doing it. And then Jerry dubbed over it later oh, interesting. on. So he was doing all that stuff. Wow. Which was really fun. And then, um, just a side note, follow that bird. There was the, the scene with Ernie and Bert in the, the biplane. It's the only time uh-huh. that, and it's like, um, 
Jim and Frank were together on the movie. Okay. And, and so it's like, and they're doing the song upside down. Uh-huh. And it's one of those things looking back now, it was just like, why didn't you all use green screen or blue screen? No, let's, let's have the two most prominent puppeteers on earth, like suspended 12 feet in the air <laughs> <laughs> and laying on a platform with their arms going through <laughs> to manipulate through. these characters actually upside down. It's like, wow. Was this the best idea to really do this? <laughs> really? Why be practical when you exactly? Can be... It's just like uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. This is like what well, was like. All right, let's 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 have these guys hanging upside down. But it's like okay. But oh, yeah, that's like so Richard funny. Richard was Richard Jim Jerry Frank Fran Carol. It's just like mm-hmm. they were like yeah they they were the originals. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's amazing. And having learned from them and, and it's like, let me tell you kids, it's like, you've got these little online courses and you can just go and you can just like <laughs> do your references on, on YouTube and the uh-huh. Google and all that. It's like, it's like in my day, I had to stand there and watch these watch. guys <laughs> and actually try it with them <laughs> and oh what gosh. would work and what wouldn't. So yeah. yeah. Oh, could you actually tell me, can you tell the story that you told me about, um, when right handing and how Richard kind of taught you the trick of, of looping around the Oh yeah. It's like, there's this, you can go to YouTube and there's the, the classic song from the count, the batty bat. And I got to right hand for Jerry and we actually had to like, you know, waltz around like, you know, the table inside the, the, the count's uh, castle, which is actually a set raised like, five feet off the floor. So this way we're standing up comfortably. And so Richard gave me this tip of taking my thumb and looping it through the back of Jerry's uh, belt loop. Mm -hmm. And so my right hand is up in the air. And so my left hand is like looped this way, literally just to like hang on. (laughs) Right. And so that's what I was doing. So then we did it. So because it's, and when it's time to do it, we're just like very close together. I'm just like hanging on and we're like twirling around and twirling around and twirling right. around and stopping. And it's like, it's great. We, we did it like, I think we did it like twice. We rehearsed it and then we did it twice. And like, that was it because wow. with Sesame, it was like, it's very quick. It's like, yeah. it's because of the fact that there was so much to do on the schedule. And also that was doing, um, what was called the, the inserts, the Muppet inserts. And so that was separate from the street stuff. And so when that was up, it's like you had to keep things moving. And so, yeah, it it was great. And then I got to write hand for Richard a lot for Forgetful Jones. And classic bit with Forgetful. It's called, it's called Oklahoma. And it's on again. I was just talking about this sketch in in one of my writing classes. (laughs) Yes. And it's, I, I use a sketch as a reference when I'm teaching monitor puppetry for so many references for like the fact that, you know, you're in this bit and you're not the star of the bit, but you're a puppet in this bit and you have to stay up. So the the cows and the horses have to stay up. They can't just like drop out because they're tired. Like, no, right. you have to stay up. You have to be, keep it alive. And there's this little choreography. And then there's like the the pacing of, of, of the bit. And it's like, it's not rushed. It's like, just taking your time yeah. and just like really enjoying it. And then also the pacing and also the emotional buildup of Kermit 
which was Jim. And just how Kermit very gradually just gets angrier and angry, more frustrated, not angry, just frustrated, frustrated. with forgetful, yeah. forgetting it. He starts off with a Oklahoma. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's Oklahoma. It's just like, <laughs> it's like Oklahoma. It's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's oh. <laughs> and finally, you know, and, and forgetful does like Oklahoma. And that's when Kermit comes in and just completely loses it. And it's just like, he doesn't, he didn't do this in the very beginning. It's a build. And then the way Jim does lose it with Kermit, it's very controlled. I mean, yes. Kermit is just, just absolutely losing it, but it's very controlled. It's not flailing right. the puppet around. It's yeah. very controlled and very focused and very precise. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's great. And we did the bit twice and like, that was wow. it. And wow. And there's like, and there's like four, six, seven, eight. Nine, like ten, I think there's like ten of us like doing this, and then and what's great is like Jerry is is he's the haystack in the back because that's the gag at the end. So basically <laughs> right. he's sitting there with his little times crossword puzzle because <laughs> Jerry would do the times crossword. <laughs> but then he was all he's also the voice when when Kermit goes like and like and roll sound and you hear Spade. And then that's Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> it is great. That's Until fantastic. finally at the end when it's like his big moment, the haystack turns around the horse and says, like, hope they're not having like, you know, hay for lunch. And the haystack turns around and says, You hope they're not having hay and like waddles off and like <laughs> that's the gag, and, like that's it. So yeah. Oh, that's it, fantastic. It's great. So it's like one of those bits, one of the many bits I got to be in with the Jim and Jerry and and uh and Richard so <laughs> and it's so interesting how you're you're discussing you know and it's so true what you're saying like how now in this golden age of social media and the internet you know we have hundreds and hundreds of hours of references I watch <laughs> Sesame Street every night and just being like I have access to all of this footage and you know when you were coming up it was really just a matter of watching and being thrown into the fire and you know I I think now because they're on a bit of a shorter schedule, they have a little bit more liberty and freedom to shoot maybe more than just twice <laughs> before yeah. they have to move on to something. But, but when you were there, you know, you really had twice to get it right or twice to get it right enough and then, you know, move on to the next thing. And so that's so, uh, that's such a different way of learning that has obviously its own benefits considering what you've done. But like, you know, I can only imagine the, mental game that you have to do with yourself to not only have to like get it right, but it's also like, I'm working with Jim and Frank and Richard and Jerry. I'm not trying to mess this up. <laughs> I'm trying to oh, yeah. get this right so they can do their job. Oh yeah, exactly. So it's like you, you, you have to like, you know, be on your game, be professional and just like come prepared. And like, if you're assisting them or if you're a background character, just to like, you know, make sure like you don't screw up <laughs> yeah. because <laughs> There are times, especially at that point, like Jim, because Jim was just like doing so many things. So when he came in to do his stuff, it's like, it really, like, there was like, sometimes it would just be like one day when Jim was available and like, that's it. You have to film all of his stuff. <laughs> right. Oh like the Ernie and Bert's or like the Ernie stuff or Kermit or, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just like all that stuff had to be done. And then Jim was all, it's, um, there's the book, um, Jim Henson is like the biography mm-hmm. written by yep. Brian Jones. And yeah. I've, I've read it. And it's a great book. If, Fan, if any of you haven't read it, you know, read it. And for me, it was interesting because to, to read Jim's life, you know, like the early years and all that. And right. then at, 
from like 1982 on, that's when I was part of Sesame Street and that's when I got to know Jim. Uh-huh. And so it was really interesting, like seeing that uh, and realizing like how short of a amount of time was left. I think about that all he, the time. He died and, and, have, and not knowing it and just reading like all the stuff that he was involved in and doing and all this stuff. And, and so for me, it was just like, wow, it's like that time was really like precious. And so I really mm-hmm. treasure looking back now, like those, those times, those moments I actually got to like work with Jim and, Right. Talk with Jim. I was actually right-handing for him for Ernie for a bit, and mm. they had to like adjust the light. And so the Wrangler came over and said, "You know, going to take Ernie." And Jim was like, "No." I was like, "We're good." <laughs> and I was like, "It's like we are." Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm still got my hand inside Ernie, so we just the, the two apple boxes, the wooden boxes, uh-huh. and just, we just like like Jim started to sit down. So of course I have to sit down too. <laughs> <laughs> And in the millisecond this is happening, I'm thinking just like, oh my God, I'm sitting next to Jim Henson. I just say something, say something, it's like start something. It's like conversation. It's like anyone who gives their right arm to be here. So if you give your right arm, you couldn't be a right hand. Focus, no, focus, <laughs> focus, say something. And then I remember what my uh, mom said, because I figured it's like, I can't, it's like asking about puppetry and care. It's like, it would be so like, how many times does this, does he have to answer these questions? So then my mom, I remember, she said, if you ever want somebody to talk about, like, something to talk about with them, ask them about their kids. And Jim had five uh, kids. Right. So I asked Jim, said, so, hey, uh, Jim, how are the kids? And he's like, oh, thanks for asking. And he just started, started telling me, like, what Brian was doing, what Cheryl was doing, what Heather was uh-huh. doing, what John was doing. And it's like, yeah. and so it's just like, just asking what Lisa was doing, like, asking the kids. It was great. And then yeah. that filled the time. And then we started to do the the bit again. So it was like, yeah, it was great. (laughs) That's lovely. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, Departing from the actual uh, performers themselves, but getting into the performances, we talked, we've already talked a lot about, you know, Richard's generous spirit, but I think that also transferred to his performance as well. Um, He really obviously had a very jovial, big, bright, you know, personality when it came to his performance. And and I talk about it in the episode, but, Sweetum specifically, you know, if we're if we're going to talk about underrated performances, I think his performance as Sweetums is really something that is a marvel, and I think about it all the time. I just think it's such a well articulated performance. Um, but before we get into the specifics of that, can you actually explain the Big Bird rig of the full body puppet? And that was the same rig for Bear as well, right? Yeah, Bear and Big Bird had the a similar rig, which is different from Sweetums. Sweetums is not done. That way, exactly. but for Big Bird and Bear is basically, <clears throat> I and Carol, we would have monitors strapped to our chests, mm-hmm. and there would be a microphone like right up on top. So this way, you're looking down at the monitor, and your right arm is up through the character's neck into the character's head, and um, Bird and Bear had these little triggers. We would just like, for me, I would have my little trigger on for my index finger. Carol would have it for his pinky hmm. and then our left arms would be in the character's left arm or wing and mm-hmm. there'd be this tiny little piece of string going from the left arm up through a little ring under the chin and then down to the right arm and it would be stuff so this way no matter what the left arm did the right one would move up and down so it was like countilevered right and so yeah uh the advantage of bear is that with bear he was kind of like 
you know, a bear that's kind of standing up. So he always had this kind of like hunched over kind of look. So there was right. more room to play with going up and down. With Big Bird, you got to keep your arm up straight <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Right. So it's a little bit harder to for to be Bird, but you get used to it. It's like yeah, look, yeah. It's like Carol taught me this trick of like, you know, when he would get tired sometimes when he would do appearances like on stage. You know, Big Bird would notice something on the floor and like look down between his legs, which is really funny. But it's also a way of getting the blood back to your hand. Back to your hand. Oh my right. gosh. Yeah. And then he would notice something way up high and like have Big Bird look way up. And so just to get the arm moving again. Right. <laughs> and so I've done that with Bear too. So Bear would have this range of motion where he would like mm. look up and look down and also like with the dancing and all. So, right. but with Sweetums, Sweetums is different sweetums right basically you wear his his clothes his body it's like it just like hangs on you uh-huh and then the head is is uh attached to this has like this helmet inside like mm-hmm. literally like a football helmet <laughs> that you just chin strap to you and there's this handle and it's it's the original like handle like they just refurbished like the original head. There's a spare head, right. but there's like the original head. Uh-huh. And there's this handle that's literally a dresser drawer handle <laughs> that you just hold on to <laughs> and uh-huh. you just pump up and down, like really, really exaggerated. And right. then it's then you can let go and then it's the trick that Richard did so well of like you could put your then right arm into Sweetums's right arm. And have both arms going and then like grab the hand and then pull out so that you can go back in go and back then to, to, to wow. doing the the hand the the uh, the head. Or if it's like for the for the uh Hollywood Bowl or the O2, I would like it like running out in front, just like just jerk the head around <laughs> to look like he's <laughs> saying something so that uh-huh. you could have both hands while you're running. So it just it just like looked better. So Right. Yeah, because we was doing the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, and there's a part where uh, Sweetums was supposed to chase Bobby Moynihan like across the stage, <laughs> and I suggested is like, what if we went out into the audience <laughs> and like ran across the audience? Oh and, my gosh! And they were like, like, are you sure? Because of course, Noel suggested this while LA's going through a massive heat wave, so it's like, right. you know, <laughs> during rehearsal, it's like you know, 100 degrees outside in the sunshine, and then oh that night, God. you know. It cooled off to a balmy 85. So, <laughs> so oh. they, but yeah, but uh, yeah, let's, let's do this, Noel. Brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it worked. It was great. So, and I right. remember those like tricks that, um, I heard that, um, Richard did. So, and it was great. And it's great. Like the fact that I got, I've, I've been Sweetums. Uh, John Henson's been Sweetums now. Matt does Sweetums. So we're like this part of this legacy that Richard started. Mm-hmm. And, but Richard wasn't the original Sweetums because there's a special, the Frog right. Prince, <laughs> and he wasn't the original Sweetums. So it's very uh-huh. interesting. It's like, yeah, who the original Sweetums was. I can't remember his name offhand. And that was also back when Sweetums' eyes would actually glow, and he was right. more like a villain. He was more like a monster. But then, yeah, a true uh, ogre. Yeah, but then for the Muppet Show, he uh, kind of like he was like rough around the edges. And there's this great yeah. bit. I forget which show it is, but it's with Richard and Robin. So it's Jerry and and Richard. Mm-hmm. And it's with Sweetums and Robin, and it's called two, and it's two lost souls. 
from the show Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Yeah. And it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> With this throne chair and Robin's on the back of the throne chair and, and, and Sweden's is sitting in front and they're singing it together. And it's like one of the cutest bits between this mm-hmm. huge hulking monster and this cute little frog. Right. He's just adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Robin. Robin is awesome. so cute. Robin was the cutest. Robin <laughs> is the best. Love Robin. Oh my gosh. Um, so with Sweetums, as you were just saying, you know, because the rig is set up differently, there's not a monitor inside of Sweetums. So no. when it comes to being able to see out, how do you see out? <laughs> you, you see out the mouth because the mouth is 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 hanging on these elastics. Uh-huh. So this way, when you pull down, they can snap back up. But when you let go, it's still kind of like open slightly. So it's kind oh, of like okay. it's kind of like this kind of the gaping kind of like uh, kind of like. <laughs> So you have enough so that you can see out of, but then you have to, you know, adjust. So because the fact that the eyes are actually, you know, a foot above your head. Uh, so if Sweetums was looking down at somebody, so like for the O2, and then for the uh, and for the Hollywood Bowl, when Sweetums has this moment with Kermit, um, I have to go, and then I have to like make it look like Sweetums is looking at Kermit, and so tilting the head. So that, and the eyes are also remote control, so that tilting the head so that the eyes shift down at an angle so it looks like they're looking at Kermit. So instead of looking at Kermit through the mouth, I have to kind of like look at like Matt's foot. Huh. <laughs> but then it looks like Sweetums is actually looking at um, Kermit. And so. Kermit, yeah. right. And then same thing with at the ending, just like having it slightly, like looking slightly down so that this way it looks like he's looking straight out into the audience but then he can look up and look down and yeah so it was like very very broad yeah <laughs> very broad um uh, and yeah. especially because you were you as far as i know you've only done sweetums for the stage shows you didn't get you didn't do you've performed them on film have you oh i have there's oh, the, you have <laughs> i did i did i got to do his voice for um muppets uh letters to santa ah, and was okay. here in brooklyn and with uh jane krakowski and um, uh, I forget the guy from uh, Law and Order, uh, but um, oh Jesse Martin, yes Jesse Martin, yes. And so yeah, so I got to be uh, actually do Sweetums' voice for the for that song, the Letters to Santa, and then when those, the Muppets come in uh, to the apartment at the end, so got to do his voice. So yeah. Yes. Oh my so. gosh, great. So then, is there was there a giant difference in terms mm-hmm. of performing him for? The, the Letters to Santa special versus doing it on stage in terms of like exaggerated movements or things like that? Or was it really roughly the same? No, it was really roughly the same, except now I had to like, I had an earpiece because I had to listen to Matt's playback because ah. he does the voice now. And so I had to listen right. to the playback and then lip sync to it. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I had to listen back. So yeah, like, yeah. So it was like, and just like the timing of it and, and whatnot. So. And that yeah. happens so often that, that you guys often, whether it's, you know, when Matt was doing it for Jerry in his last years or when somebody's on uh, the same scene with another performer uh, having to catch the other performer's vocal track. What are some of the things that you kind of have to keep in mind with that? Um, like the the timing of the voice. It's kind of like you listen to the, the track enough times so that you know there's like a rhythm to the line. And so right. – that's when you can like really like anticipate like how it's going to 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 be. It's harder if it's live. <laughs> so right. you have to like kind of like 
enough rehearsal, you kind of get the essence of like what the, um, the rhythm is. Mm. So it's not some, so pre-recording is more c- consistent, but even if it's right. still live, there's still like a certain consistency because it's in character. So you kind of right. guess like what it will sound like and then how to, uh, to finesse it. And so, so right. you have to like also anticipate like, when to open the mouth and, <laughs> mm, and <yeah>. when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So there are yeah. ways of like cheating it a little bit. So, uh-huh. so it looks flawless. <laughs> <laughs> so that you don't know. That's yes. You don't know at home. We know, <laughs> but you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, no, thank you so much for kind of coming by and just talking a little bit about your experience with Sweetums and your experience with the guys and just in general, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, before we go, I'd love for you to promote Noel's Book Nook. Just talk to us a little oh, bit about that. Sure. Uh, my podcast is called Noel's Book Nook. It's available on Google and Apple and Spotify and Anchor. And it's basically me uh, reading chapters and sometimes stories from like Beatrix Potter and Robert Louis Stevenson and Lewis Carroll. And um, it's, um, I started it last year because of, you know, I was home. Right. <laughs> as we all were. <laughs> and it was like, what should I do today? <laughs> and mm. I thought I would just like try a podcast where I'm just like reading stories. And mm. it's, I, when, when I do read, I do have a certain tone in my voice that's reminiscent of a certain Bruin who owned a home. So it's kind of comforting for some people to hear this. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. And I'm going yeah. to be, I'm going to be doing, um, a new season this year. So I'm going to start recording and it'll be coming out later, uh, this summer, uh, through my, with my, the help of my friend Nate Beagle at Beagle oh, yeah. Studios. So if yeah. you have any audio or editing or if you want to get into voiceovers, go to natebeagle.com because yes. Nate is the man. Nate is the man. Work. Right. And he also yeah. is the voice of, and the puppeteer for Crow, for Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, he Live. is. That's and right. They just are going to be having a brand new season of shows. So. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, make sure you guys look out for that. And make sure you look out for Noel's Book Nook. Noel, thank you so much again for stopping by. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody. And there you have it, a fantastic conversation with Noel McNeil, who I love talking to all the time. Uh, That comes to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you like the show, can you do me a solid and subscribe slash follow the podcast at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts? Please also follow us on Instagram at MeetTheMuppetsPod, which is at M-E-E-T-T-H-E-M-U-P-P-E-T-S-P-O-D. And, of course, you can follow my personal account on Insta, Twitter, and TikTok at Fergsters95. That's at F-E-R-G-S-T-E-R-S-95. If you're looking for some more Muppetational fun, please head over to Muppet Wiki, Tough Pigs, or the Muppet History Twitter account, which also now has its own podcast please listen to the muppet history podcast it's really wonderful uh more podcasts about puppetry themselves specifically the jim henson style of puppetry head over to below the frame by matt vogel under the puppet by grant pachoco getting felt up by nate beagle and dan eli becker and of course puppeteers which i just appeared on uh not too long ago about a couple weeks ago check out my episode and check out puppeteers in general which is by cam garrity and adam prutinger are you looking for more pop culture disney theme park links and stuff like that make sure you're listening to the dj bob show 
Defunct Land, Yesterworld, Theme Park History, and Disney Dan from Getting Felt Up all on YouTube. Um, for more info on the podcast itself, please head to bpn.fm slash Muppets if you want to know more about me and just to know about the podcasts that are featured on Broadway Podcast Network, which we are a proud member of. Just head to bpn.fm. This has been It's Time to Meet the Muppets. I am your host, Ricky L. Philippe. I will see you all next time. Bye! We're moving right along. Let's get this show out on the road. Get the show on the road! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.